I think so, I'd like to welcome everyone to tonight's shir. All of you who are participating here and upstairs and downstairs and all the locations across the United States, participating through the broadcast of the Conferencing Network. I'd like to give a big yeshikar to the Cass family for the support of tonight's shir. Shalamas, Bastoiva, and Amita Yaakov, Ben Brocha, Besoysha, Holy Soil. I'd like to remind all of them that this is a great opportunity of Abbas's Torah, the Rabbim, to sponsor one of these Shiurim and help Egan Shir continue bringing these Shiurim to the Tzibur. Contact Egan Shir Torah, 718-851-8651, or speak to one of the Askonim after the Shir. Tonight, once again, we have the covered Tavodosh, Revis, Avayna, Shrit, Darav, Kila, Shah, Shemaim, Where's the Hills? Speak to us on the Indian of the struggle of life. Now it's my cover to call Nirvana for tonight's Russia. Shamedis Akarasa Taiv to Rabbi Bold and the staff. The highlights of my year is uh, we know two months before Rabbi Bold and I started talking and discussing what uh, might be important for the Elam to hear. Uh, whatever is important for the Elam to hear is more important than I hear at first as I speak it. And if the Elam uh, listens, then uh, all the more. And uh, I'm always chayshish that it's a little bit of an issue with the nine days. I get such tremendous hana when I come back to see uh, basically everybody here that I know for many, many years. That uh, my nechama is is that it's a hana ruchni, I believe, not hana nekashmi, and uh, that lachir is muta during the nine days. And um, I take tremendous chizuk every time I see people after a hard day in the office or wherever they were come out to hear more divrei teira and divrei haseris. Should be a schus for everybody here and their mishpachus. topic of Nisyanis and struggles is an endless topic. It's Mayim Shemlam Seif. That is because Hashem in His Rachamim in His Rachamim not Midas Adim makes sure that we have some amount of struggle in Isaiah every single day. Never ever one disclaimer, never ever ask for any more. Governor Melo did that and uh, didn't work out that well. And Milano Gadol and Governor Melo. However, have you figured out by now in life, you don't have to ask, it comes anyway. Hopefully in small bite sizes that you can handle it, chew it, swallow it, and for our topic tonight, 
turn it around and actually do something with it. There are many, many examples in Tanakh and in Chazal of the positive aspects of an assignment of a difficulty in life that not only is here for a possible kapara, people have a misconception that uh, must be some Einish, what did I do wrong? It can be an Einish, it can be a kapara, but not necessarily. It could be a test, Nisayan Shutukim to see how we react to test Abitachim, to Mechazik Abitachim, perhaps to show us kaychas that we didn't think we had to be able to use in our lives and to help others with. And on that last point, I'd like to start my first example. You're all aware, Goliath was standing for 40 days being Machayr from Agadeh for Kosh Baruch Hu and Klai Yisrael, challenging them to a battle, a one-on-one. And the deal was, whoever wins, if Goliath wins, then the Plishtim take over. And if somebody representing Klai Yisrael wins, then the Plishtim will submit to them. Of course, uh, as we all know, David will win, and they didn't keep their end of the bargain, which is typical of Plishtim and any other permutation of that particular name, Maven uh, Yavin. Uh, had a long time, for a couple thousand years, keeping deals. I had a problem with that. So, Baruch Hashem, at the end of the story, we all know, David wins, Clay Yisrael is vindicated, and there's a kid in Shem Shemayim. The background to the story is not as well known. Part of it's in the Psukim. Part of it is actually from what is not read. David Amal sent by Yishai, his father, to check on his brothers, who were officers in the army. Get regards from them, bring them some treats, some supplies. Dalinel shows up to the front lines for the first time he hears what Klaisal had been reading in the papers. And that is, there's a Russian Rusha Goliath standing being Mechair from Agadeh Fakosh Baruchu. He comes and he hears it for the first time and he says, Hi, you talking? We let him get away with this. He's standing there and no one's challenging him. So they told him, Young man, you have a lot to learn. Um, the challenge has been thrown for many, many weeks already, but no one's courageous enough to take him up on it. So he starts asking around, he says, we got to do something, we can't let this go on, it's a public Hashem. And they're trying to ignore him, finally he makes so much noise, and he starts being Marames that uh, he'd like to volunteer for the job. I thought that was strange, but he kept on saying it over and over again, so they finally point him to the direction of headquarters where Shaul Melech is. And he's ushered in, and he says, Your Highness, this is completely out of hand, and we have to take up the challenge, I'd like to volunteer. Shaul looks at him up and down. Shaul's an experienced man of war who's too scared to fight at this point. And he says, young man, not only are you half his size or less, but you have no experience in war, and he's an experienced man of war. I can't let you go. It's suicide. It's suicide for you. Suicide for Klai Yisrael. Can't let you go. David Amalek, not interested in taking no for an answer because he knew something that Shaul didn't know. And he said, Your Highness, I'd like to share with you a story that I never told anybody before. And here we come to the story. I was a shepherd for my father, which he still was. And one day, a lion with its family, the Medjur says, and a bear with its cubs, came and started eating lunch. I turned around for a second and a lion's walking away with one of my sheep. What's the din? 
if you're shepherding, this might be in the Gay Lamaisa. What's the if you're shepherding, a lion comes, you turn around for a second, he's walking away with one of the sheep in his mouth? It's a one word response. In Hebrew, it's called Beteavon. <laughs> you certainly never, ever start off with a lion. It's uh, suicide, and uh, David didn't have a gun, and it's awesome. For some bizarre reason, I say that because David Melech is going to say that, he followed the lion, punched him in the nose, started up with the bear, knocked him out, got rid of the entire mishpocha, and flattened everybody out. And then after that, he sat down, and he started thinking, why in the world did I do a strange thing like that? It's connected to din, it's not normal. What made me do this? What possessed me? And David thought to himself that the reason this happened, a nace, a clear nace, the reason this happened is because it's clear because Baruch wanted to show me that I had an inner strength that I didn't realize I had. And Hashem is showing me that that strength exists so that at some future time, I don't know where or when that's going to be, I'm supposed to use this to help others. And David Melch was afraid he'd forget. We have a lot of Nisim we witnessed in our lives. And then a week or a month later, you know, it starts receding into memory. The guy over here says there's a Korean Xiv, and some of uh, go home, you'll check it out. Some of the Devim have this. It says, Nosa Zemeider, which means the lion picked up a Seh. We read it Seh, picked up a sheep. The Cree is Zeh, Zayin Hey. Zeh, Moshkazal, is always when you're pointing to something. David was pointing to something. What was he pointing to? He's pointing to his jacket. And David Amalek had a brilliant idea in order not to forget. He doesn't know when this Kayach will be necessary, maybe in 10 years from now. It didn't take that long. So he took the hide of the animal that he killed and made it into a jacket and he put on that jacket and never took it off. To remember Chazdei Hashem, to remember the Nisim of Akash Baruch Hu, amazing idea. The trick in life, we all have so many good stories to say when Akash Baruch Hu did to us, we just don't remember next time the Nisayan comes up. So you've got to make some money, you've got to put a picture on your desk, you got to, you don't have to walk around in a leather jacket. David got away with that uh, because it was the uh, fashion of the time, it didn't look strange. But whatever it takes, you've got to make some simon that Gosh Baruch Hu was with me at such a time, performed these similar flaws for me, and it should be used. And David describes the story, and he tells the king that I wiped them out, there was these similar flaws, and I kept it Shomer Biyodi that I have this Kayach, and your highness, today is the day, now is the time, and this is what it's for. And Shaul heard this, and he was Nishtaymim, he said, young man, that's a very good point. And to let him go out, they tried to put his armor, David Amalek holds nice of it, David Amalek didn't want them, and he left without the armor. A few rocks, a slingshot, and the rest, as they say, was history. Such an important lesson. Most people, if you ask them, how was your day, and they say, oh, well, uh, I was uh, minding my own business, and a lion attacked me, and a bear attacked me. I don't know why Hashem does this to me. Why do I always have these Nisianis? And I managed to knock them out. It was um, amazing, unbelievable, but I don't know why I always had such rough days. That's the way we react. David Melch said, okay, very frightening. I had a very strange reaction. Let's think about what happened and the reaction and try to learn what the Kodesh Baruch Hu wants from me over here and what new Kayach do I see that I was able to misgabber in this Nisayan and then put it away and use it later to help Klai Yisrael. So step number one is whatever we have in life, lessons can be learned and we can turn around and use it to help others perhaps get through the same Nisayanis perhaps reach into ourselves and understand what kayachis or chachmas we have to be able to help ourselves and use it to help others. 
Lesson number two, also from David Melech, is that not only can we find ourselves passing in the Nisayim with the help of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we can also understand that because of the Nisayim, we're now going to reach heights that we can never have possibly even hoped for before. Amilcha Yehuda, Lefkowitz from Bnei Brak, that's all, once told over, he dealt with a lot of Chinuch Shailas. They have a beautiful Sefer, Dark Chaim. Never seen it. It's a wonderful Sefer and has most of the Sichus uh, from Amilcha Yehuda and many of the stories he told to his Talmidim. So, two interesting things over there. He said, number one, he's noticed, now please don't misquote this story because it can give Chalish Zadas in the wrong place. It's supposed to give inspiration in the right place, not the opposite direction. He's seen Mishpachus with many children. And he noticed on a few, more than a few occasions, something very strange. He noticed that the children that were doing pretty good, pretty well in school, parents helped them and they did for them as any parents would, and they ended up being nice, good, Yerushalayim. And then he noticed that Dafka, the one or two children were having huge issues, the parents had to shed many more tears to help them, and had to dive in a lot more, and to put many more kaychas in. And it was a tremendous nisayin, and every single day was big trouble, and it took sometimes months or years to get through it. And he said he noticed that many of those became superstars. So he'll say, well, uh, what, what's the message? i got to go off the derech first to become a superstar? That's not the message. As I said, don't misquote this. What it does mean is, that when faced with an Isayan and you put extra kechus of tefillah into it, it ends up that the person or people you're davening for, or the project you're davening for, the situation you're davening for, has more siyat deshmaya than had everything gone galat, and you didn't have to daven so much. That's an important yusayin. Had David not had this yusayin, and I would have found that he had this kayach. So when he saw the lion, and I'm sure he started davening at the time, and he started asking for siyat Shema, and Hashem gave him a gift of something that he used later on. Amilcha Yudha said he's seen on many occasions where Dafka, the child that needed extra help, besides getting the extra help, and the siyat Shema department had extra tefillahs and extra mysterious nefesh on behalf of his parents, his parents on behalf of him, and they ended up going la'ela, la'ela, more than they would have accomplished had that been an average case. He said he once had a lady come to Rosh Hashiva who brought the case to him, and they had thrown her son out of Yeshiva. And she came to Yeshiva with a taina. I don't have a taina, she said, you threw him out. I have a taina that didn't know there were problems. And the Rashiva told her, he says, you know, we will let you know. We didn't think it was so out of hand. And we went, mentioned to you once, but she said, I didn't know it was that bad. So Rashiva says, so what's your time? Is? My time is I would have davened a lot harder. And they came to Amilcha Yehuda. Amilcha Yehuda told the Rashiva, you've got to let him back in. She's right. Now that's strange to our ears. What do you mean daven more? You daven as much as you daven for your children. The answer is it doesn't work that way in life. We daven, unfortunately, on a per-need basis. So the more acute the emergency, the more we dive in, and the more we turn on the tears. So she tainted that, yes, she understood things weren't going great for him in yeshiva, but had she known the extent of it, she really would have turned it on, and she didn't have that opportunity, therefore you can't throw him out yet. This is a powerful tool. The most powerful example of this is Chana. I think I mentioned this, uh, Masha, four or five years ago in this, uh, this room, one summer, I think it was four years ago maybe. Where Hannah 
Marbrochas came to Shmuel, came to Eli rather, with Shmuel. And Shmuel and Avi was, not Shmuel and Avi, Eli was three years old. And when he came with the Karbonis, she came to fill her nether, to Makdashim, to learn by Eli, the God of She came with Karbonis, and they were standing there, and nothing was moving. And he said, What's going on? He said, The Kainam aren't here yet, there aren't too many Kainam on duty. And he said, What's the problem? Shkita Kesheya Bazaar. And the man on duty, the Gabbai, said, That's very sharp, young man. But you're coming to Eli, you were just Maralacha Mibnei Rabbi. Eli's the God of Ladar. It wasn't his Rabbi yet, he's about to become his Rabbi. He's the God of Ladar. And she went into the office with him, and the Gemara Dashin's just in the Psukim. And Eli said, I really feel horrible, but I can't be Michael. It's not my COVID, I'm the God of Ladar, I can't be Michael. And he's not going to survive. And she was crying and screaming, You can't be. What's the Jewish mother question? She's going to say that. So Eli said, uh, nothing I could do. I gave you a bracha the first time. You were barren for many years. I'll give you another bracha. He'll be better. And she said, with all due respect, that's impossible. Why is that impossible? He gave the bracha the first time. So the Maharsha, in very few words, says an interesting aside, which is exactly what we're discussing. And that is that Hannah wasn't doubting that the brachas were effective. She saw they were. She didn't have a baby until she got the bracha. She was davening all these years. But she also understood that with all the brachas in the world, without the tefillahs of the mother and the father, it's not going to go. And she told Eli Akayin that you can't possibly create something better than this child, because this child is a result of decades of my tefillahs, of my mysterious nefesh and my crying, and nobody can replicate that. And I can't do it again. So therefore you have to make an exception. This Yisoyed is not used enough because the parents I tell this to, they say, I'm just a regular guy, Mani, Miani, uh, who says my tefillahs mean so much in Shemayim. So humility is a wonderful thing, not in this department. You have to know the Kayach and then you have to know the Kayach of a parent or of a close friend or somebody that really cares about the people. The tefillah goes further than you think and Hashem made us and He knows that unfortunately the tefillah is really only turned on to its peak performance when we're under pressure. And that's one of the main reasons these pressurized situations take place. Another example. I'm going to the more famous ones in Chumash. Now keep in mind, Leah had done plenty. She had four children already. She had done. She can retire now with honors. The godless of the Imos, is what we have to learn from, is that we're here to work hard in our Ruchnius, and uh, she's built a, uh, a dynasty already, but she wasn't satisfied, rightfully so. She had every right to be satisfied. It's not high proof in the first place. Not Mechiyavis. But it doesn't make a difference. She wants to build Shifte Cup. So she does something which is extremely difficult, even though we see repeatedly with the Imos, but it's extremely difficult, and Rabbi Nogashin decided we shouldn't even try it. Polygamy under the best of circumstances was a very difficult situation. Bring a tsara into the house, hold a tsara for a reason. And despite the fact that she had four shifte car ready and she has nothing to be ashamed about, she invites a tsara into the house. Ben names here very significant. What does Rashi say? Bogod? Rashi says, Bogod, Bogmazeltov. 
So I don't know if you ever wondered, always wondered about this Rashi. This child is named God. I think it's a good name for any child, usually a child's born. You say Mazel Tov. So why was God Zeichet to get the name Mazel? His name was uh, Mazal, basically. In the, uh, in the today it's maybe a girl's name, this is a boy's name. They named him God. Why, why God? The answer is she put herself, again on her madrake, she put herself under tremendous pressure and pushed the envelope. She did something she absolutely didn't have to do. And when that child was born, she understood that any child coming from this act of Mesiris Nefesh is going to have special Siat and special muzzle. So she named him God. Interesting. God as the Shvatim God. They're all great. God, you ask somebody about God. If you ask somebody to put in a pecking order, you have Yuda, and you have Levi, and you have Yisachar, and Yisvulin. God gets the name Mazel because that's the result of a person who is putting himself under pressure to perform. Again, we don't uh, normally do that. We're not in the Madrega. But a person who has the pressure already understands that withstanding the pressure and working through the Nisayan and the challenge, whatever is produced right after that will have the biggest Mazel and Siat of all the projects you're working on. People hear this and they say, okay, um, why me and how do I sign out? How do I know this uh, takes me talking to Muna? How do I know a Gosh Baruch who's sending me this Nisayan? How do I know a Gosh Baruch who's in charge? And you'll say, anybody who can ask a child like that is not be curious. It's not true. Whenever we start doubting, why me? In English, what we're really saying is, is a Gosh Baruch who fully aware that this is happening to me? which sounds like fear to everybody sitting here, but we, we think that. I don't know if we say it, but we think that all the time. I was um, on my recent trips to Rarity Yisrael. I was um, sitting down. We are about to take off and uh, looked to me like the last passenger on the plane, which I thought was odd. A young kid sits down, next, sits down right next to me, and he's strapping himself in. looked very young, and I turned to him and I said, um, Where's your father? So um, he said, you can't see him. I heard that. I thought maybe he was Nebuch underneath the plane. I didn't know what I got myself into. So I said, uh, is everything okay? So he said, everything's fine. I said, why are you so relaxed? It looks like you're traveling alone. He said, no, he's around. You just can't see him. So I stopped looking around. He's a little kid, so I thought he was playing a joke. I said, can you show me who your father is? I want to make sure somebody's taking care of him, and I want to be able to go to sleep and not worry about him. Uh, so... Um, he finally says with a uh, sheepish, sheepish grin, he says, uh, the reason you can't see him is because he's flying the plane. Oh. Not a good reason. So uh, the, kid, the kid didn't realize what a, what a gaval de gavart that was. If we can, we can just remember this one, that one line. The reason we, ha- we panic when the sand has happened is we don't think that anybody's flying the plane. We think the plane is out of control and somebody forgot about me, and this situation is completely out of control, and we go into panic mode, like there's an engine problem, and we spiral out of control because we don't think somebody's controlling the plane. I sort of know whether he was kidding until a few minutes later, we still hadn't taken off, and this big guy with things on his shoulders came by and bent down and asked his son how he was doing. 
and then I uh, introduced myself and asked him if he was flying the plane. He said, not right now. I was very happy to hear that. Uh, uh, but indeed, he was, uh, he was the pilot. But it's an amazing thing. Here we have, he tells me his father's with him. He's completely relaxed. He has no problem. He's taken care of. His father's with him. He just can't see him. No. So, and this kid wasn't even from. It wasn't from the father's from. I later invited them over to my house afterwards. It became a new cure project. And uh, it was wonderful. The father was, um, I spoke to the kid for a while afterwards, and he, you know, had a bar mitzvah, but wasn't uh, religious. And, uh, and uh, they're working on it. But I didn't share the vort with the kid. I don't know if he'd hop the uh, mushroom and imshul. But it's, it's unbelievable. Because we are, as from people, we intellectually know that, yes, the plane has a pilot, and the pilot knows what he's doing, knows how to fly, and any emergency that comes up, he can get it fully under control. But we don't fully believe it. Nebuch, uh, three weeks ago, I don't know if you heard, when I, when I was in Eretz Yisrael, I hate when people tell me airplane stories when I'm in Eretz Yisrael and I have to fly back. Uh, but the day before I left, somebody did me a favor, went over to me and said, did you hear what happened in London? So I said, no. should have said no, but I don't want to hear it. But he was too quick. And he said there was an LR flight to London, and after they took off, one of the engines blew. It's great to hear this like the day before you're about to take off. Um, and he said that it was amazing. The pilots got everything under control within 20, 30 seconds. And there were no casualties except for one person who never had a heart attack because the plane was spiraling out of control. And I can understand that. If you have full bitachon, I'm not asking anybody to have full bitachon on the pilot. He's a boss of a dumb. The full bitachon, the Kosh Baruch Hu is in control on the plane, cannot get out of control. The world can't get out of control. And uh, people keep asking me what's going to be with Iran. I said, I'm not too happy with the situation either. But no one's dropping any nuclear bombs on anybody without Hashem's okay. So there's really not a whole lot to worry. You have to do your Ashtadlis. But when I can't fall asleep at night, I have a long list of things of reasons why I might be tossing and turning. Maybe um, you'll say I don't care enough. I think uh, we'll never be able to sleep if we start worrying every night what's going to happen if something going to start a nuclear war. There are certain things in Akash Baruch Hu's hands. Again, it doesn't mean the government of Israel doesn't have to do this. But there are certain things in Akash Baruch Hu's hands. So we, I think most of you, don't lose too much sleep over the uh, pending threat. But we do lose sleep over our personal issues. And why is that? So either we're selfish, we don't care about Klai Yisrael, or Iran's not threatening us here in Flatbush, and it's only threatening at Yisrael, I would hope that's not the case. I think we're very concerned about Yisrael. I think we deep down believe that Hashem is never going to allow somebody to drop a bomb and destroy Yisrael. But somehow, when it comes to our own personal issues, we deep down think that Hashem forgot about us. That's the challenge. Hashem didn't forget, He's still flying the plane, and He's with us. Is with us every step of the way, and if the plane feels like it's dropping, there's a reaction that we're supposed to have that, if the pilot was saying on the mic, this is a test, the reaction is supposed to be there, and we're supposed to find out what kechus we have to be able to use for the next Nisayan or for somebody else's next Nisayan. One complaint I get when I try to be mechazic people who, um, in Azarov, you get to hear about a lot of problems. You get to see a lot of simchas also, but uh, I'd like the balance to be a little bit more, if you would ask me, only because there are just as many simchas happening. Just, I don't always hear about the uh, simchas quickly as you hear about the problem. That's the way life is. So one person recently 
told me that he can try to work on himself to understand why there's an Isayan, a kapara, a test, to bring out the various, all three. He just doesn't understand why the Nisayan can't be called off a little bit earlier. Like, why does he have to sweat so much? And uh, I told him that there's a classic example of that in Chomish as well. And even though, again, I'm bringing examples from the other Sekadeshim, but these examples in Chumash are here to teach us that in the 11th hour, the Yeshua can come, and often it will only come in the 11th hour, because that is gufa to see what we're made out of. It should have bothered you when Yaakovinu was sent in by Rivke Menu to steal the brochas. So Yaakovinu was... Uh, upset about having to do it not upset at his mother of course uh, she was uh, on the via and she says go she's going but uh, this is not uh, what he stands for in terms of the Amis the Amis the Yikes. and uh, Esau if he walks in is going to kill him on the spot so what happened? Rashi spells it out sounds like it could not have been a closer call Yaakovinu leaves, Vesav Achiv Ba Mitzedai. Rashi says, Yatsai Yatsam, Ze Yetzi Vezeban. If you look at the Medjur, it's a very graphic description. Esav went out, he was an expert hunter, and he should have come back a lot sooner. Hashem didn't want him to come back because Yaakovinu was standing there, and there's going to be bloodshed, and Hashem wants Yaakov to get the brachas. So every time Esav is about to catch something, the Malach undoes the net. This goes on 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And then he just butchers a behemoth to me and he brings it back. Then he walks in, the major describes there were double doors. He walked in this way, it was dark. Yaakovino didn't even have time to get out. That's how close it was. He stood behind the door hoping and praying that Asa wouldn't turn around. He continues going further in, and then Yaakovino slips out the door. Why was it necessary for Kashbarch who's doing a nace anyway? for 20, 30, 40 minutes. So, Esau is going to get a hold of some animals. Hashem couldn't have the animal run away for another three minutes. I forget three minutes. How about 30 seconds? Why does it have to be that Esau and Yaakov is there and he's trying to get out. He's listening to the bracha and he knows Esau is coming back. Why does it have to be that as Esau is walking in, Yaakov is still standing there? Why? Why does it have to be such a close call? The answer is, if it's not a close call, we don't often notice that Hashem is stepping in, and we won't notice what a close Nisayan it is, and we won't notice that everything in life is a very close call. So once in a while, Akash Baruch does us a favor, makes it a close call, so we understand that the Nisayan is Arvad Bachlal, even though you think you can't handle the pressure anymore. Count to ten, wait one more day, wait one more week, and then the Nisayim will be up. One guarantee, Hashem will never give us something we can't handle. That, that Nisayim is certainly true. Also, it wouldn't be an Nisayim if we can't handle it. If we're going to fail, if we're destined to fail, then it's not a test. A beautiful um, short story somebody sent me. If you've ever heard this, it bears repeating. If you didn't, it's uh, really on the mark. A man found the cocoon of a butterfly. 
One day a small opening appeared. He sat and watched the butterfly for several hours as it struggled to force its body through the little hole. Mamish Niflis Aberi, watching and watching and watching. Then it seemed to stop making any progress. It appears if it had gotten as far as it could and couldn't go any further, which is what we feel like like almost every other day. Sometimes multiple times a day. I tried, I pushed, I sweated. Not going. So the man decided to help the butterfly. He took a pair of scissors, snipped off the remaining bit of the cocoon. Butterfly then emerged easily. Baruch Hashem. However, it had a swollen body and a small shriveled set of wings. The man continued to watch because he expected that at any moment the wings would emerge and expand to be able to support the body which would contract in time. Unfortunately, neither happened. In fact, the butterfly spent the rest of his life crawling around with a swollen body and shriveled wings. It was never able to fly. But the man in his kindness and haste did not understand was that the restricting cocoon and the struggle required for the butterfly to get through the tiny opening were God's way of forcing fluid from the body of the butterfly to its wings so that it could be ready for flight once it achieved its freedom from the cocoon. This is, there are a lot of things in the Bria that teach this lesson, but this is one of the better ones. So we're looking, Nebuch, this poor butterfly to be, I gotta help out. That doesn't mean you see somebody suffering, you do help them out. But if you're in the matzav and you want to know what the Kodesh Baruch Hu wants, the butterfly is probably thinking the same thing. I tried for three hours, it's not going, so I stopped. It wasn't stopping, it was stopping to rest. The butterfly is smarter than we are. And he understands you want to get out and you want to put Kayach into your body, it takes pushing through a hole, and it's not easy. A situation where we fold and cop out and give up. We think that, well, if it's too hard and we back off and it's something we felt originally we should be getting, something in Rukhni is something in learning, pushing ourselves at Stockholm, whatever the area is, we jump back and we say, it's too hard, it's not for me. Not only did we lose out in the immediate milers of whatever we were trying to get, the body gets weaker and weaker every time we retreat. That's what happens to the butterfly. Once you cut it open, it retreats, it has nothing else to do, so it can't push, it's not forcing anything. The more you flex your spiritual muscles, the stronger they are. If you back off from adversity, I had a recent conversation with a, uh, a young couple. Unfortunately, this conversation takes place too many times a week. Um, but um, I was trying to tell them that just because they had a fight doesn't mean the world came to an end. Uh, they're not married that long, as you probably surmised. And um, they said that nobody um, told us that this was part of the program. And I said, well, where did you grow up? I said, you never saw your parents fight? So one of them, said, Baruch Hashem, we never saw it too much because they were smart enough to do it somewhere else. Okay, that's good. That's a good, that's a good uh, rule in parenting. But I said, Lamaisa, you didn't know something's going on? Did they have a tense moment? And they said... Uh, there were, but we thought things would be different with us. So the immediate, unfortunately, for the unexperienced, inexperienced person, you have a situation where they have adversity in front of them, they have a problem to deal with. It's a lot easier to retreat to your corner. Lahabdul Elif Avdolus, I don't know too much about boxing, but I think that if a boxer would keep retreating to the corner, he probably wouldn't get anywhere too fast. Matter of fact, he'd probably get killed pretty quickly. 
So Hashem designed everything in the physical world, zulu mazu. And if you don't go on the offensive, if you retreat, not only are you running away from a problem now, you are not building up your muscles to be able to deal with these situations in life. And uh, that is not good news for anybody. One more example from the other Sekadashim. You remember when Yaakov you know, went back to the Pasim Ketanim and he was attacked by the Sashal Esav in the middle of the night. He was attacked for the duration of the night. And in the morning he finally had him in a full Nelson, whatever you call that with a Malach, the equivalent thereof. And the Malach said, let me go, let me go, I gotta go, I gotta sing Shira, I gotta go now. So Yaakovina said, yeah, when I'm winning, you gotta go now. I've heard that before. You're not going anywhere until you give me a bracha. First I want to know your name, I want to know what's going on over here. So what do you want to know? So the Sukkot David says a very interesting shot. The Rishonim already in Chumash say, what Yaakovina wants to know is, I want to know what are you representing? Every Malach has a different job. Based on your name, I can figure out why you're here. Sukkot David explains, that Yaakovina was bothered. Why was I attacked? Why did I deserve this aggravation? What did I do wrong? Is there an Avera supposed to be Masakin? So again, the knee-jerk reaction we all have is, what did I do wrong? I'm such a terrible person. And what did I do Masakin? The Gemara Taka says in many places, somebody had loyal at Tsar, you're fashioned from Isaac. So Yaakovina is doing that. What did I do wrong? I want to know in what Midas I did, in what capacity you came. What's your name? The Malach said, why are you asking my name? It's not Nagea. Why is it not Nagea? So Sukkot David says that the reason is not Nagea, he told the Siyakavinu, he said, you're mistaken, this Tzara didn't happen for any particular Avera. You didn't do anything wrong. You're as close to perfect as you can get. So why did I come? So the reason I came is because there's one thing that's eluding you, and that is the Haskama of Esau for your brochus and the destiny of Kalei Yisrael. I'm going to give you that Haskama now. Yaakavinu learned something here. Every time there's a tzara, there's a reason, but it's not always to fix something up. It's not always like a kapara. Sometimes it's to give you a gift. And the Malach told Yaakovina, I'm not giving you a rough time because you're bad or because you need a kapara. I'm giving you a rough time because without this, I can't, I'm the Sarah Shalasev, and until you subdue me, I'm not going to be masking. You have accomplished that, and therefore I'm all yours, and I'm masking to the brothers. And for all we know, half the Nisanis in life can be for that. Shouldn't always assume it's very depressing every time. Again, the Gemara says you fashion shemaisiv. You should do that, but do it with measure because if you keep doing it, then the person like Elena has a lot of tzaras. They say, "Well, I must be a really horrible person. And if I'm so bad, there's no hope. And if there's no hope, I'm not going to bother trying to be masakin things." So understand that some percentage could be ten percent, twenty percent, fifty percent of the nisyanis are to give us the kaychus and to give us more tools and how to grow. has a very interesting paragraph on how to deal with Yish. A person goes through a rough time, he goes through a struggle, it gets people down. People are human, it's normal. A person gets out of davening well, I speak to a lot of people, so I hear this from, uh, from Bachram, I hear this from B'nai who were 
in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, everybody here. And they're not diving like they should, and they're not learning, and they um, have a reaction which many of us have, and that is, you know what, things aren't going well. I'm just not going to really do it now. I'll sleep more. And when things get better, I'll get back into my learning, get back into my davening. A common reaction. Listen to Chaim Velazhner. This paragraph is, uh, is crucial. You should try to keep this in your pocket. People go up and go down in life. Ups and downs, there are good days and more difficult days. When a person gets down, he feels, I'm not doing anything believe Shalom now. I'm not into it. I'm not into my learning. I'm not into my davening. I'm not into my mitzvahs. It's just not going. And he has a solution. I'm going to sleep through this tufa. When I wake up, things will be better. I'll get back my Zrizas at a later date. This happens to everybody trying to grow and learning. Here he tells us the secret. How do you deal with a situation when you're down? Again, I've heard this to many people. They say they understand why it's important to get back into the learning, the davening, being on time for davening, davening of the minion. All the other things, but they, they didn't forget about it, they promised me. They didn't forget about it. They're going to get to it, but right now it's a very bad tzkufa. Maybe next month, maybe after the summer, they're going to get back into it. Chaim Velazhina says, The uptick on the Avedah is easier to get your hands on than you think. If a person, when he's under the pressure, when he's not in the mood, and when he's having a bad day or a bad week or a bad man, and he pushes himself just to keep some shaykhs to his learning, keep shaykhs to the daven, keep shaykhs to the minion, and not put it away for later. If he does it, even if he's doing it not in a good way, he's doing it in a lazy way, and he's not happy about it, he's not smiling. As long as you stay in the game, it's better better than giving up even for a short term. I'm not talking about somebody's giving up forever. If says you give up even for short term, once you move away, it's triply hard to get back. And the main purpose of Anisoyan, when the sudden comes and starts up with us, it's often not even to get us to stop doing what we're doing. It's to get us into the hopeless yish mode that we throw in the towel on the 50 other things we're working on. And if you find that because of the rough time you're having in any area, you're having Yish in other areas, know that that was the main point of the Yitzhar. Not, not the thing it got you on, the things that you're now going to give up on as you feel you're out of it. And it happens, it happens, uh, it's a tremendous tragedy, if it happens to a Bokhar, I remember a conversation I had over 25 years ago, somebody I was learning a Kailu in Yitzhar, and I was walking home with an Israeli younger man, and I've and he told me that a year ago, he was married about a half a year, he said about a year ago, I had a few weeks that I don't wish on anybody. Family issues, all sorts of things. I fell into a tremendous yish. And I convinced myself, and I wasn't learning very well at all, and I convinced myself learning is not for me and, and this is not going to work, and I was ready to leave and give it all up. And Baruch Hashem, one of the mashkichim in the yeshiva, is learning in a very famous yeshiva, saw what was going on. And he saw that I wasn't coming to say that I was just sleeping through everything and davening and learning. 
and he took me aside and built me up and he told me this Lechaim Velazhen. I had not seen it inside then. He told me that it's better to come and still be part of things and push rather than give up even if you think you're only giving up for the next week or two. Because that's exactly what the Eitzahara wants. He wants to get us down. He wants to get us depressed. And that, at the end of the day, is the biggest weapon of the Eitzahara. I'll quote one more story that somebody sent to me a while back. It's also, if you've heard it, needs Chazar, if you didn't, uh, put it in your pocket. I don't even know who wrote this, but um, somebody described that he uh, had a dream where he died. Sometimes that's a dream, sometimes that's a nightmare, depending where you go after Katira. And he had a dream that he was walking along the beach with a Baruch Hu. And as he's walking along the beach, he saw scenes of his life. Went day by day. This is what the Yamadin, the Elam Habu look like, or it's a review of your life. And he's looking at the review. And he sees as he's walking, he sees his footprints and footprints next to him. As he's walking, he sees both sets of footprints and he realizes that to his great relief, as he's walking, Akash Baruch is walking right next to him throughout his life, helping him whatever he needs. But then he was very, very confused because when it got to the worst days and matzavim of his life, he only saw one set of footprints. He turned to Akash Baruch and he said, Hashem, you promised me that you were always going to be with me when I needed you most. Where were you? And Hashem said, you only saw one set of footprints because I was carrying you at that time. This is a godless. I didn't even know if this was written by a Yid. It was written by somebody very religious, that I could tell you. But new Chochmah Begayim Taimin. Maybe it was a Yid, maybe it wasn't, but it's irrelevant. We like to believe that uh, Hashem is with us, so we're always looking outward to see Sanas Makar Baruch Let me translate what he said. At the worst, most difficult moments, it's not our job to look for outside signs of where is HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Zulu Mazu, where are those footprints? Because the most difficult points in life, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is mamish carrying us. He's not necessarily going to give us an outside sign. He's mamish with us every minute, like the Chazal say that Hashem is with the Chayla. Why is Hashem with the Chayla? Hashem can control what's going on with the Chayla from a distance. Why need a greater Hashra Sashchina with the Chayla? The answer is that Hashem expects us during the most difficult Nisyanis Le'aleinu to look inwards and to really stop and figure out what our relationship is with HaKadosh Baruch Hu and where the Bitochan Amunah is without seeing Simonim from the outside. It's not easy. But understand, that's why this fellow is confused. It's the most difficult times, I, I'm missing the footprints. The answer is, you're missing the footprints. I'm, I'm saying, like Rashi and Chumash with the kid on the father's shoulders, he's walking around, with my, where's, where's my ta? I'm carrying you. I don't when you, you need Hashem at every second of the day, every second to breathe. But we often feel when things are going well, you know, Hashem is there as a reserve. That's why 
Hashem sometimes turns the screws a little bit. So I'm not here as a reserve. I'm here to carry you every moment. And when things are not looking good, you have to reach into that resource and understand that God Baruch Hu is with us and He's here and He's not over there. He's here and we're on His shoulders. Tavayachol. I'm just going to end with um, one or two applications to Baral Machaveroi. Whatever I don't cover here, I'm uh, back on Sunday to speak on Tishavod, so maybe we'll continue then. But I just want to open it because it is the nine days. And at least half of the problems we have in life, some will say more than half, are pressured situations, and Nisyan is dealing with other people, conflicts, conflicts in the home, conflicts in a marriage, conflicts with children, with parents, in the office, with the boss. And we have many, many situations, there'll be many a day, where we feel insulted, we feel we're getting the raw end of the deal, how can they treat me like this? Why do I deserve this? Why am I a mat on the floor? Why am I treated like dirt? first thing you have to know is that we're here to create a Kiddush Hashem and our reaction, positive or negative will dictate whether it's a Kiddush Hashem or a Chil Hashem I'll share with you one story I don't look for airplane stories by the way I just sit down on them and then they come Uh, on my way back this time. The other one was from uh, a few months back. You ever get in a plane and like it's very busy and there are people over the place and you know that they never have on any airline enough space in the overhead cabin to fit everybody's stuff. So when you get on, you have to sort of in a nice way rush to try to settle yourself quickly. And uh, I got on, Baruch Hashem. It took me a good 10 minutes to get out what I needed. I put the swarm over here and I put that up there. I finally got settled. And uh, the announcement goes on. We've been taking off for a few minutes. I fasten my seatbelt. And a stewardess comes over to me and says, Excuse me, sir, can I uh, talk to you for a moment? I really need a big favor. So why she needs a big favor for me, of all the hundreds of people on the plane, I'm soon to find out. So I said, What can I do for you? So she said, You see there's a man over there in the middle section who's carrying on? I looked over there and the taco was somebody carrying on in a big way. I would say he's making a massive chil Hashem, but he wasn't wearing a yarmulke. Um, and everybody else in the plane was Jewish also. So uh, I guess it's still a chil Hashem. Uh, Jews should behave like that. But he's screaming and ranting and raving. I ordered a window seat and something's wrong and I want my money back. He wants his money back. We're already an hour late on the runway and he wants his money back. So the stewardess came over to me and says, Can you do me a big favor? You want to switch with him? The last thing I wanted to do was to switch with him. He was sitting in a, the worst seat in the plane in Grand Central Station. That's why he was ranting and raving. Uh, okay, somebody's got to sit there, but he claimed he paid extra for window seat. Um, so I'm thinking fast, and uh, I realized, Baruch Hashem, um, I realized that um, she looked around very quickly. She's under a lot of pressure. They're trying to take off. She looked around, and interestingly enough, she's a Chiloni Israeli. 
and we're used to reading in the press that all the Chilonim are always saying how the Haredim are the source of all evils. They figured out how the Haredim are responsible for the ozone layer, by the way, recently. Uh, so if there's nothing that we haven't done uh, wrong or caused. And um, despite all the um, rhetoric in the papers about how much they uh, hate us and how we're the dregs of society, it's very interesting that when a stewardess who's not religious has a problem in a plane, she looks for the nearest Haredi to do her a favor. I'm an interesting thing. There were people sitting around me, a bunch of five people sitting around me. She asked me for the favor. Why? Because deep down she knows that a from person is more likely to do a favor than a fire person. You could debate that point. I'm just telling you my sashaya. I was going to ask her why me, but I held my, my mouth because I looked around the section and I realized why me. I was the closest person she saw with a beard who uh, might be interested in maybe doing her a favor. So once I realized that, despite my uh, severe discomfort with getting up and moving all my stuff and uh, undoing everything I did for the last 10 minutes, I realized an opportunity to make a tremendous Kiddush Hashem. And I switched. I got up. I think you all would have done the same thing. I hope. I don't think it was any great godless. I switched, and interestingly enough, when I moved over to his section, I sat next to somebody. He's now in my seat. It was fascinating. I watched him when he sat down in my seat. I figured he would have a guilty look in his face. It would bother him. He fell asleep in 10 seconds. <laughs> didn't bother him at all. He slept the entire flight. Clear conscience said. Now, it didn't, didn't bother him that he was disrupting the whole plane. But it doesn't, uh, he fell asleep right away. I sat down next to a firm couple. And he leans over to me and says, I don't understand why you let him get away with that. He's acting like a lunatic, like an animal, and you let him get away with it? So I said, I don't understand what you're asking me. I said, the stewardess came over to me as a firm person asked me to do her a favor. She was right for asking. She's wrong for asking. She's probably wrong for asking. That's irrelevant. Right, wrong. She asked me already now. I have a chance to make a kid ashamed of Shemayim. So there are two ways to look at life. You can look at life and say, why is everybody always bothering me? What a pain. What do I deserve this for? I finally settled down. I'm exhausted. Why can't the guy find his own seat? Or you could say, you know, this is a tremendous tircha. I really don't want to sit there, and it wasn't just moving the tircha. It was the next 10 hours I had to listen to all the banter from the kitchen and all the people going to the bathroom and all the other people. So, my reaction is, why does Hashem do this to me? What did I do wrong now? The other reaction is, I have a chance to show people you have to be nice and you have to be given and you have to work for the clown. There are like 500 people who want to take off and this guy is not budging. And somebody's got to do this. So yes, it's an Isayan, but here's a chance, a gift from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The most important mitzvah we could do to HaKadosh Shemayim. Hashem gave it to me in a silver platter, so I lost some sleep. So what? So I wasn't so comfortable, so what? Every time a potential machlekas, a potential sikhsa comes up, you have the opportunity to be the better person. You have the opportunity to make a kid Hashem. And by the way, kid Hashem in its primary form is in front of Jews. It's also a kid Hashem in front of Goyim. But I was sitting at Elal. It was all Jews and everybody saw what happened. So instead of complaining, why me? And what do I need this for? And why am I getting no sleep? You can look at it and say, Hashem is giving me a gift, an opportunity that I don't have often to make a kid Hashem in front of three, four hundred people. Why would I want to complain? I told to this fellow, he says, that's a very interesting way of looking at things. I told him, I said, the only way I know to look at anything. How can you look at it otherwise? Would you expect? I asked him, would you have said no? He said, I wouldn't have said no, but I would have given everybody a piece of my mind. I said, that's great. I said, you do the mitzvah and then lose all the schar by screaming at everybody. That's wonderful. Why would you want to? Did he sign it here? Taylor May? So just take it, grab the mitzvah, and don't complain. 
This is what the nine days is all about. Half the problem is of three quarters of the problem we have. It's just that we don't know how to deal with other people. And some of them are miserable people who don't know how to deal with themselves. That's what Tisha B'Av is all about. That's what the nine days is all about. That's what Avas Chinim is all about. That's what Sinan Chinim is all about. And hopefully when I come back here to Flappage to speak on Tisha B'Av, it will be a share about the Gula. And if not, we'll continue on this topic. Have a good evening. Thank you for listening.